I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What is the creator economy and why should you care? And what if you care so much that you want to build a career as a creator or a marketer? How do you brand yourself and break through? To find out, we're talking today with one of the real pioneers of the creator economy, Aliza Licht. Aliza first gained notice when she created the very popular DKNY PR Girl Twitter handle way back in 2009, which ultimately gained over 1.5 million followers. Today, Aliza is best known for her book, Leave Your Mark which was named one of the 100 best career development books of all time by Book Authority. She also hosts the popular Leave Your Mark podcast, where she explores personal branding with friends and luminaries from the fashion world. In fact, we could spend much of the podcast just naming her many accolades, but to pick two, Time Magazine has called her one of the six women who rule the fashion world, while the New York Daily News called her one of the 50 most powerful women in New York. Welcome to this episode of Everything is Better with Creators. I'm Jamie Goodfriend, your guide to all things happening in the creator economy. Every week, myself or my colleagues, Emma Harmon or Ashley Rudder, will be hosting this podcast. So on today's episode, we're talking a little bit about fashion, a lot about personal brands, and we'll meet someone who's been moving and shaking the creator economy for more than a decade. Roll the intro, please. is better with creators the podcast that takes a deep dive into all things creator economy produced and presented by whaler whaler we power the creator economy with your hosts ashley rudder emma Harmon, jamie goodfriend and marco batosi Everything is better with creators. We are in for a treat today because I have nabbed one of my favorite creators, business women, authors, and just fabulous human being, Aliza Licht. Welcome to the Everything is Better with Creators podcast, Lisa. Jamie, you know, you're my favorite. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me on. This is a treat on a, on a couple of different levels, because it's rare that I talk to someone who has such a breadth of experience in being a creator, working with creators and advising brands on working with creators. So you're a triple threat here, which is super helpful. I'd love for you to tell us the story because I knew about you, although I didn't even know it was you back. I don't even remember the dates anymore, but you were the DKNY PR girl, first sort of personality on Twitter that I can ever remember. 
How, when when was that? So DKY PR Girl was created back in 2009, which is a very long time ago. And just to set the stage, we didn't even know the word influencer then. We had just started learning about bloggers. And brands were not really on social media beyond Facebook. So this was the early days. This was the Wild West. This was, there were no rules. There was no playbook. And it was initiation by fire. And how did you encourage people or how did you even convince anybody that this was the right thing for a fashion brand? It's a great question. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is we were sitting around in a marketing meeting one day, as you know, you have had hundreds of, and thinking about, okay, there's, you know, social media is expanding. There's this platform called Twitter, which of course was, you know, developed prior to 2009, but fashion is a little bit slow on the uptake sometimes. And, you know, we really, we were just kind of brainstorming and thinking about like, how would we embark on Twitter? And my role was in publicity and I was, you know, really protective over the brand voice and of course Donna Karen herself. And my big thing was, well, the Twitter handle can't be at Donna Karen because people will just assume that she's tweeting. And then that becomes a PR nightmare for all of us on the team. And, you know, this was a, you know, during a time when we were all in hardcore obsession with Gossip Girl, the original. And I thought, well, actually, like, why can't we just, like, steal the idea from them and, and just make it, like, anonymous? We could do it through the lens of PR because, obviously, PR, you know, touches a lot of different fun areas like fashion shows and celebrity dressing and working with editors. And I'm like, let's, let's call her DKY PR girl and no one has to know who's tweeting. But then our general counsel was like, great idea. Only one person can do it. Aliza, since you're the SVP of global communications, that's you. Well, I, it's, it was brave then, and it would still even be a great idea now because imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I love that it was the genesis <laughs> was Gossip Girl, which is more, there's nothing new. Gossip Girl's relevant again. Yeah, yeah. And there were many people who did it, you know, after me. But at the end of the day, I really thought, it was it was a great way to create a filter for the brand that wasn't based around a person. It sort of backfired in the end, but you know, for two years it it, it was a secret. Nobody knew it was me. I I love that. And then when I got to meet you, it was a, it was a celebrity moment for me. I was I was thrilled. I still am thrilled that I know you, but that that part was great. But I think back in those days, it, it's almost like the current state of the world right now. There there's a more of a playbook. But for brands that are afraid or still concerned about how to build a presence on some of the new platforms, do you, do you draw comparisons from, from those early days? Well, you know, I hear a lot of, you know, obviously I read a lot of different sites and I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, it's all about authenticity. It's like, it was always, that's not a new concept. Like that is why DKM Piaga was successful because when things failed, I shared that. You know, when, you know, Celebrity X didn't wear the dress for the Oscars, I shared that. And I think giving people a behind-the-scenes view during that time into a very sort of private world of fashion where we didn't we didn't show behind the scenes. No one saw behind the curtains of these brands. So I think now it's much more commonplace to do that showing behind the scenes and, and sort of showing the real transparency behind what's happening. But back then, it, it really was new. Um, I think there are a lot of brands doing an amazing job right now, though. So I, I think, 
you know, everyone's come a long way. I hope so. But we still, we still hear brands trying to control, own, micromanage their presence on, on these platforms. And it, doesn't really work. It doesn't feel real. I don't really like the word authentic. I, I talk about it being more a- accountability, but we could use that word authentic. It's it's fine. Uh, but before we get too far into this, because I, I, I do want to get you to hear your story. You went from secret Twitter guru, <laughs> and then you became an author and embarked upon a second career. And now you're working, I'll let you explain, but could you give us a little bit of an overview on your journey of the last few years? Because I had this platform, DKYPR Girl, which really was on Twitter and Tumblr. So I wrote long form blog posts, which Tumblr, the people at Tumblr were like, why are you doing that? It's for pictures. I was like, I'm going to write. So I started just naturally giving out career advice really to people who were maybe aspiring publicists. So really sharing my job, right? It was about following me and my life as a PR girl living in New York City. And I just, the more and more career advice I gave out, the more that people started to say, well, that's not just for like fashion people or PR people. That's great advice for any career. And then one day an editor, uh, Amanda Englander, reached out to me. I didn't know her. And she said, I think, I think you should write a book. And I was like, no, I'm definitely not writing a book. And then she convinced me. Um, and that sort of led to this whole idea of mentorship. And, and really, I think, what is my calling? Because as much as I love this space, and of course, I consult with brands, I love helping people who are trying to like really rise in their career journey. And that has been, I think, the most exciting part of this whole thing. So yeah, I've gone from in-house to consulting to in-house to consulting. I'm consulting back again now. And I sort of straddle, um, you know, in, in my mind, I'm a brand marketer for professional and personal brand. Like that's how I see it. I see it as a company alignment and I see it as an individual alignment. You are a publicist, but I'm going to encourage you. What's the name of your book, Aliza? <laughs> Leave Your Mark is my book. Leave Your Mark is my podcast. And Leave Your Mark Community is where I mentor uh, young professionals at scale. And you kind of mentor brands too. I mean, it is it is one and the same. But I, what you just said, which was so helpful, is that you did you. And even though you are a human being and an individual person, Brands have to find that same balance of who are they in this new world and how do they share their their details, what's behind the scenes in a way that legal will approve, but is is honest. And I think that's a really hard balance for human beings and for brands. I mean, actually, it's the same thing, because when you're applying for a job, you should show your real self, maybe not all of your real self, but it's a balance because if you're not real, people either pick up on it, you don't feel right in your own skin, and maybe it's not the right fit. And you got to say it like it is, take it or leave it. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is starting with the brand filter. You know, what should a brand be talking about? What should they not be talking about? You know, remember, I was a senior publicist, right? So I knew how to keep my mouth shut on certain things. I knew where I could play. You have to have that wherewithal. That's why back in the day when interns, you know, were running social media handles and we would see things going haywire, it's because they didn't have that background. So I think also to your point, like 
brands need to, in the creator space, like also recognize if you're tapping into a creator, you're doing so because you love what they've done so far. And I think a big mistake brands make is taking a creator and saying, okay, now can you do it how we do it? It's like, okay, but you can do that yourself. You don't need me to do that. Right. And we hear this frequently from creators, from brands, but let's, let's, go back a little bit because that's just the tip of the iceberg and your career advice for someone in a company right now that sees the vision of having a robust, fantastic TikTok presence or reels or pick a channel. And yet they're bumping up against all of these restrictions. How do they fight that fight? This is, this is something that I think you could be uniquely qualified to help people surmount these challenges? I, I'm a big fan of a competitive analysis. There's nothing that convinces manage it, management more quickly than seeing their direct competitors doing it really well. So it's like, I don't need to fight this argument. The numbers speak for themselves, right? Here is your direct competitor doing an amazing job on TikTok. Here are the reasons why. Now, if a brand chooses to say, that's not for us, that's one thing. You know, I mean, there are many people who who really are obsessed with the sort of traditional concept of brand, and there is not a very wide spectrum that they can play in, and that's a choice. But I think to be successful on a platform like TikTok, you need to loosen up the reins, right? It needs to be a person. You need to have someone you're comfortable representing you in some way. And you need to have a niche because that is really what resonates. But when you talk about knowing what you can talk about, what you can talk about paired with in many larger companies, there's still the belief that you don't need to put a lot of resource against this effort and that the intern or the junior media person or the PR manager can own this. And that is a fatal flaw. I think that's that's a big problem. What's the language? Okay, so you've got the competitive analysis and you say it's in the fashion category and someone does a great job of pointing out what the competitive set is doing. Fantastic. What's the next stage? What does a brand need to do to set themselves up to be successful? They need to understand that this needs to happen without the oversight of 50 people. Why I was successful as DKY PR girl, because I was a trusted executive. I didn't get anything approved. I could be in real time. And with TikTok in particular, you need to be able to jump on and create content in the moment. This is not about creating a content calendar and in a month from now posting something. So hiring the people who you trust not just from a video creation perspective, but even a copywriter, the whole thing. Someone who sits all day and like ser- seeks out the hashtags that are now trending on TikTok, you know, SEO on TikTok is huge. Figuring out, okay, what are your keywords that you want people to be searching? What's happening on TikTok and marrying that content? All of this takes a lot of time. And that's just one platform. And there's many that brands are on. Which brings me to another interesting question is the desire to repurpose content across all the platforms, which violates so many creativity rules and so many audience engagement opportunities, because it's clear that you made it once and then tried to transfer it to other platforms. We see 
a lot of challenges in that. It has to be made for the medium. Again, it's resources. Well, the good news is, since Instagram is trying to be TikTok, you can make it for the medium of TikTok and then pull it across other channels. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Yes, you can on there. Uh, Snap is the ultimate. You can't do anything except for Snap on Snap. Uh, But I think it's also important, keeping this in mind of the through line here of how do you get a, a senior executive to approve the resources and showcasing the benefit of going made for the medium and having engagement that's real because you understand the channel is, is it seems obvious to us who are in it day in and day out, but it's not obvious to clients. And there are some laggards that are still trying to do that. It, it just won't work. And listen, I, I have definitely had this battle with clients over time. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can recommend and suggest. And if the brand still doesn't want to do it, it, I mean, it is what it is. But listen, I see brands now hiring. I, I look at, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn and I look at specific roles just for TikTok creation, period, end of report. It is now a job. Just TikTok. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. The woman, I won't remember her name, who did who's the, the genius behind Duolingo, she made it look so mm. easy. She made everybody think, oh, you could just hire a young person, but you're right. And in fact, it's one of the things that at Whaler we're struggling with because we know TikTok unbelievably well for our clients, but we're like the shoemaker's children who have no shoes because the amount of resources that we would want to put into it. So we're, we're, we're figuring out our plan of attack, but I think that's you know, it's, it's part of the, the world we're in. It's, it's, you've got to dedicate resources to something or it just won't be good. This is not, this is not a, a casual thing. This is the, even though it's been around since 2009, this is still resource intensive. The shoemakers, kids have no shoes is my favorite line. I say it all the time. I, I'm the same way. I don't have time for my social media. How do I have time for my social media? There's zero chance. I mean, every once in a while I'll throw something up, but you know, it, it's, you could have your own like mini creative agency is really what you need. <laughs> exactly. Well, although I do love your Instagram posts and I see them all the time. Thank you. I, I've tried to be better. You see my frequency has increased, but then I'll post to Instagram because it's so easy. TikTok, I find to be such a pain. I'm like, I can't do this again. I cannot do this again. It's an art. It's an art. For, for on many levels, but you, so as a, as a creator, I did see on Instagram, you had some commentary uh, about the silent resignations. Do you, do you find it's hard to be a consultant as well as a creator and be at the mercy or the, I guess that be a target of commentary? So what we're talking about is quiet quitting. And basically the concept is that you don't like your job anymore. And instead of quitting, 
you're going to just quiet quit, which means you're just going to do the bare minimum. And at this very moment, what I was saying is I think it's a really bad idea. Number one, it'll never get you promoted. So if you hate your job now, you'll 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 never be recognized as someone of value. But more importantly, companies are doing layoffs. And if you're just like mediocre at your job, you're like top of the list on the on the chopping block. Anyway, people in my feed were not happy with this with this concept and my opinion on it. And you know what? That's okay because here's the fun fact. I have been promoted over and over and over again for being accessible and more of a team player and doing things beyond my job description. And it's worked for me. If someone else doesn't want to do that, that's fine. They can stay in their role and just do the bare minimum. And for a brand lesson in that, I think there's a lot of parallels. Uh, the comments and the community building, like you've, you've really built a strong community because you add value, you've got a point of view, you say it like it is. And that is a good lesson for a brand because brands are almost anthropomorphic at this point. How do you recommend brands deal with comments in the community building? That's a great question. Um, so first of all, I think every platform is different, right? So how you treat Twitter is different than TikTok is different than Instagram. So if Instagram is your main channel, I really do, you know, everything in that feed is forever in a way, right? Tweets, they last 20 minutes at most. They're gone. Not that you don't need to worry about them, but I think when we're talking about community and engagement and moderation of content, not everything needs to be responded to. And I feel really strongly about this because especially if you're a brand that's like, you know, really connected to their community and has strong customer service, your natural default setting is like, we need to respond to every single person. No, you do not. You do not. Not all those people are your customers in the first place. So I think the first thing is the social team being connected at the hip with the comms team and saying, hey, this thing just popped up in our feed. We don't feel that we should respond to this. What is your opinion? If they disagree or agree, you can, you know, battle it out. And then coming up with really vetted, approved copy that everyone can stand by. And, and that copy does need to go past a couple different, a couple different stakeholders. But I think the key is just like take a breath and don't just dive in to respond because you might be making something so much worse than it needs to be. In addition to the fact my favorite crisis management <laughs> recommendation is just because something blows up on Instagram doesn't mean anyone on Twitter knows about it or anyone on TikTok. So sometimes you'll see companies apologize for something and they have plastered this apology on every platform. And then people are like, wait, what happened? I had no idea. So you're actually like making it worse when you didn't need to be. But yeah, that's the, you know, crisis PR. Those are my, uh, those skills die hard for sure. I love that. We used to call, when I've been on the brand side, I used to call this, and I, I did not invent this. I don't even know who did, but the STFU data, which is how, how big of a percentage of the audience is actually really saying anything relative to people that are not. It, you have to look at it. And I just had the really good fortune of listening to uh, Dara from Peloton talk about her crisis communications approach. And she's a veteran. She's the most innovative CEO and influential CEO, um, according to Forbes. And I got to tell you, she really earned it. And what she said too was, look at the data, take a breath and analyze the data because 
It's a really good point. And I think this is one of the things that scares brands from really deep diving into this space is they feel vulnerable. And it is important to remember that you don't have to respond to everything, but you do have to be mindful of who your community is. And in addition to what you're saying about building a, what are the topics that you can and cannot talk about? Where do you have a permission? I think the important role of a creator, I love your thoughts on this, is to be sort of the cultural diplomat that allows brands to have entree into communities in the right way because the creators are the gatekeepers of the the vibe. You're an invited guest if a creator can broker an entree into the community and you have to add value. We we talk about that a lot with our clients at Whaler. You can't just show up and just like you can't just show up to somebody's house and walk in. You got to bring a gift. You got to take your shoes off if they if you want. But how do you communicate that to brands who are so focused on hardcore ROI, hardcore measurement, not really allowing things to bubble? Have you, have you had those kind of conversations with brands? Well, first of all, I just want to say like every single brand should invest in social listening. That's number one. You should know the sentiment of your brand at any given moment of the day and where things are bubbling up. Like sometimes you'll be like, wow, we're like negative today. What's happening on Reddit? Or wow, people are loving us today. Did someone tweet? Did a celebrity tweet about something on Twitter? So really having your finger on the pulse. And by the way, this is yet another job of somebody's when we talk about the team to really be in those platforms really and you know setting up queries understanding what the conversations are organically and also understanding how they're reacting to the content that you're putting out there so again this goes back to why are you tapping the creator in the first place right you're tapping the creator because you like what they've done before and if you're a strong brand you probably have a brand filter that you've put a list of creators through that you believe makes sense for your brand or help you expand your brand into a new medium. So again, understanding the value and the reason why you're paying them in the first place, let them lead. Let them tell you what's going to resonate with their community. That is a gift that so many brands ignore because they have to art direct you know, it's, you see, and you see it in the posts, right? You see when someone has received copy from a brand that is just not even in their voice. And you're like, why? It does, it just kills it. It kills the whole thing. Like I was, I love this picture until I read your copy. And now I know that like, you're so uncomfortable because it's not your voice. And people can feel it and see it. It's, it's, it's like a big beacon. It's like the bat signal. This is not how it's done. It's nails on a chalkboard. Nails on it's, it's it's so true. I think when you're helping advise on the criteria to look for when identifying a creator to work with, one of the things that we battle with is the the reliance on follower count as a as a constant metric. And we're having many many conversations now. Our our one of our co founders, Neil Waller, had a really great post that was talking about that. It was a follow-up to Kaya Europe's post in the information, and it's the value of a follower account. And a million seems to be this arbitrary number, but frequently the creator will, especially on TikTok, a, a million followers on TikTok versus a million followers on Instagram versus on and on and on, very different. And a, we had a, a client 
where we had a creator that had 100,000 followers, but the post engagements were in the 58% range and millions of engagements. And they thought it was a typo when we gave them the report. And we were trying to explain that follower count does not speak to engagement. So that's a, another new uh, nuance of this space. I don't know, how have you dealt with that as well? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I think one, going back to having tech tools to understand audience from the beginning. I mean, I think you need to know, like, who are these people reaching? Like, you may love, you know, some influencer who's like a fashion girl and is posting and looks amazing, but like, is her audience 90% male and you're selling women's clothing? Like, you need to know who is following, what regions they're in, what regions they're in, what age they are, right? That's first and foremost. Um, I would say that the bigger the following, the lower the engagement. And I think now that we've pretty much gone to video first content on the whole, no matter where you are, we can see that that's happening. And by the way, since we're on the, we're on this podcast and I have the opportunity to say this for historical purposes – Instagram did not say that they were canceling all their plans. Like everyone, those headlines right now are like, the people want. It's like, no, no, no. It's on pause. It's on pause. It's going to happen, just not today. And I think that's the funniest thing. But anyway, because it's all video and we can see views, right? So I think with video content, your engagement metric is really your views because you're not going to watch something and also like something. You're less likely to, to like something in common, right? The, the whole main point is you're watching it. So we can we can calculate the engagement based on views for the following. And I think that that's what's most important. It doesn't matter how many followers someone has if their content resonates and can, and can, re, and can sort of generate the amount of impressions far beyond even their follower base. This year, uh, there's been a huge jump in people that call themselves creators as their full-time job. And we're very clear to, to brands and other partners that they're not actors. They're, they're collaborators, they're businesses, and they bring a wealth of experience, ideas, creativity, but for the creator side, and we have our foot on both sides because we actually represent talent as well, it's about diversification. And it's really a huge call out to make sure that a creator is not necessarily beholden to just one platform. And I think we saw that, when was the adpocalypse on YouTube? I don't know, five or six years ago? I remember, you know, there was a lot of, you know, Hank Green leading the charge and all of those things. And this is, a challenge. And that's why communities are so important. I'm actually fascinated with like Mighty Hive and Circle and Discord for that matter, or Patreon, where people have the ability to then migrate their audience to own it, communicate, provide value. But it's not easy. It's so not easy. And it's very ephemeral. Do you know Kendall Ostro? She's at Candle Media now. I do. I know she just went yeah. to Candle. She was at UT. I love She's her. She's the best. So we did a talk for the American Influencer Council like last month. And and one of the, you know, one of the, I moderated it. And one of the questions I asked her is, what is the definition of a true creator? And what, and at what point do you know that like you have hit that level? 
And she said, and it's so true, the ability to pull your audience no matter where you're going. And she used the example of Mr. Beast, right? So it's like, it doesn't matter where he goes, the audience goes with him, which is going back to what you just said about diversification because you can't, and it's, by the way, this is all really easy to say. I just want to say that. It's really hard. When you're sort of invested in a platform, everything takes time. It's really hard to sort of be multifaceted in this sense, but it's the only way to protect yourself. Neil Waller, again, has a very clear view on this. And he talks a lot about creators extending their career by getting to a point where they can hire a team so that they can extend, scale. But that means you have to be at a, there's chicken and egg, right? How do you get big enough to have a team? And how do you have a team that you can support if you're not big? But I, I, I think the era of the professional creator has been upon us for a while, but now we're all starting to understand what the implications are. And it is really hard. And I, our, our goal is to really make sure that the creator economy is robust and diverse and people get paid appropriately. But frankly, it's, it's new. I mean, if you look at, and I just thought about it this way, early professional athletes, they had no pensions. They, if they were injured, they didn't get paid. There was a lot of, uh, it took 70 years, I think. And now you have the players unions who obviously have, you know, done quite well for the players and no one's crying for the athletes, but similar, they have a very, uh, you know, specific trajectory. And with efforts like what you're doing, I think we're going to see a lot of changes. I don't know what that will do. It'll be interesting to see if there's bargaining power uh, with creators and platforms. And, you know, if there's going to be like a Norma Ray moment, uh, but maybe that's in our future with you leading the charge. The sports analogies are not my thing, Jamie. I'm just going to let you know that. Um, but I will <laughs> I will say, I, I, I do want to say one thing though, and I think this is now flipping it back to the brand side. Like, I think brands need to understand your your you know if you're using a different eclectic mix. I think brands need to understand there are different types of creators. There are creators that you're going to tap into for brand awareness, and then there's creators that you're going to tap into for direct response. Not every creator is necessarily both, and I always love the example. I'm like aging myself now, but you'll love it. It's like what is the ROI of a billboard in Times Square, right? We All of the brands we worked on spend millions and millions of dollars on a billboard in Times Square. Estimated traffic of people who walk by. It doesn't matter. No one clicked anything, right? But the standards in digital are so exponentially higher. The expectation is, well, why didn't they click? It's like, I don't know. You may tell me today, hey, I got this amazing foundation, and I might be like, oh my God, I'm going to try it. You, I didn't click on anything, but maybe in a week from now, I'm going to walk into Sephora and buy it. And you influenced me to do that, but you can't track it. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure on creators to sort of sell and perform. And I think we need to remember how we treat all of our other mediums. Well, that's again, going back to use some media for awareness, use some media for conversion, and not all of them do the same thing. And the idea of multi-touch attribution, I don't know, we could get into that and that would be a whole other direction. I'm sure you could talk about that for hours, but it's it's challenging, especially in this new world where, again, if a creator is given a brief that is not culturally relevant, is it the creator's problem that the content doesn't work 
I mean, there are a lot of those kind of considerations that we're just starting to see institutionally, not as one-offs that are coming up over and over again. I mean, again, briefing for a creator campaign is drastically different. Our team spends an enormous amount of time working with clients to help them adapt the brief to the new world. There's so many different nuances that the chain of custody is not as, as clear cut. Uh, anything that you're seeing right now that you just love, uh, any creators that you want to call out, any content that you're obsessed with? Katie Jane Hughes. Tell us. Can watch Katie Jane Hughes do her, do her makeup all day long. And, you know, she also is testing out, speaking of, you know, Patreon before, Instagram has their own Patreon now, a subscription service. You can subscribe to exclusive content in case you didn't get served that up on your phone. Um, and she has that. She's in that beta program. And I love her as a human, but she's so talented and her videos are so, you just feel like you're in the bathroom with her and you're just like watching her do her makeup. And She's incredible. So she's love my favorite. And when you open TikTok, what's the typical? I love to ask this because it used to be that when you sit down with people, at least for me, I would say, what are you binging? What shoes are you buying? Now I'm also asking people, what is TikTok showing you? Because I had this scary experience where I was with a 20 something and she was showing me her TikTok and it was filled with like really attractive guys, like hot guys. And I'm like, I get, I get like iPhone hacks and dog agility. What's wrong with me? I'm not getting hot guys on my TikTok. So what's on you? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's on my TikTok. If you tell me what's on yours, Elisa. I think mine is even more pathetic. So, okay. Well, first of all, I get tons of dogs, which makes sense because I have two. Um, but I get, I mean, the algorithm is just following me everywhere. Like everything to do with digital marketing. Like I literally get every single, because first of all, I do, I learn a lot also. It's like you really can learn a lot. And I'm obsessed right now with TikTok SEO because I feel like Google's really feeling that pain. And I don't know, there's like, things are shifting. I I love that. But besides the dog, I mean, so I get, I get a lot of digital marketing. I get iPhone hacks. I get recipes a lot of dog stuff. And I get makeup for older demographics. Hmm, not happy. I get a lot of hair and makeup <laughs> tutorials too. But also I think it, you know, just search something, search hot guys. I have been. Getting hot guys. It's changing. Yeah. So thank God I'm. I, it, it is changing because it was embarrassing. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's nothing more humiliating than comparing your TikTok feed and having that massive realization. So, well, Aliza, this has been an honor, an education, I feel like we should be having cocktails and we'll be doing that hopefully soon next week, I think. Yes, we need to. But I mean, Jamie, there's nothing I said here that you don't know because you're the you're the Mac daddy of it all. But I mean, this I, I love spending an hour with you. So really, I'm thrilled. Unbelievable. Well, thank you and look forward to uh, learning more from you on the next time. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me on. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and will come along with us as we navigate the journey to the promised land of the creator economy. Make sure to subscribe or follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to audio. And of course, we'd love a rating and review if you get the opportunity. Special thanks to Aliza Lick for joining us. Make sure to check out more from Weller and all things at the intersection of a talent network brand partnerships, technology, and creativity at whaler.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For everything is better with creators, I'm Jamie Goodfriend. We'll catch you next time.
Everything is Better with Creators is produced by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. Learn more at whaler.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætte af alle de der podcaster, forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.